When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two-step, a new step. It won't be long. When the Dixieland is up playing, soon you'll be swaying. So come on, sing along. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the international, sensational podcast, Before My Time, with your host, me, Gelsey Laurie. Welcome and bienvenue, welcome to the podcast about cabaret. We're talking about cabaret. Let's talk cabaret. In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Horror Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one-hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good, healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog, and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Mash. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Kelsey, I know that I was the one that suggested that we do Cabaret when you had said, let's talk about a movie because we haven't talked about a movie in a while. But I think I was also the one that put it on the long list because I you did. love the music of Cabaret so much. It's so good. And also, it's weirdly, like, we talk about, like, the the Gelsey Matt origin stories of like our friendship and how our friendship developed. And a big part of it was the very first podcast you ever did was my favorite episode of, and you picked a Shit's Creek episode 
during the season when they're casting Cabaret. And I was actually, I was excited you picked the episode you did because it was the little bit of Lexus episode, which is like. I know, I'm just obsessed with that. I sang it this week, so it's but, fine. But there's a part of me that was like, I was like so bummed because I'm like, oh, but like of that season, that's probably the funniest episode. But the final episode of that season where they do the performance of Cabaret is like. I cried. The emotional peak of that whole se- series. It is. <laughs> like, yeah, and not to go off on a Shit's Creek tangent because we already have done a full episode on. Go check out my episode on my favorite ep- uh, episode of. Shit's Creek is such an amazing show and it's obviously hilarious. But what I love that they did in the later seasons, which I really look for in comedic shows, be it Scrubs, I'm rewatching Ted Lasso now, is that these really funny shows that can get you to cry. Yeah. And they pull at your emotional, you know, and everyone's like, oh, they're funny. And I'm like, no, they, they do a really good job, though, at that deep. And the Cabaret episode for sure was one of those. Oh, where wow. I was like, this is actually like hilarious, but it's it's so incredible what they did. And We're going to talk about the song maybe this time later on in this episode. But mm-hmm. Stevie's performance in that episode might actually be my favorite performance. Like, it might be my favorite performance of that song because it chokes me up yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've never seen Shit's Creek, don't just go watch that episode. You'll be like, the actual fuck. Like, it's one of those things you need to know the oh. whole backstory and get to love these characters. And then that's why, you know, you yeah. get emotional because you're just oh, like, I've yeah. been on her journey with her. Yeah, you're, you've been on Stevie's journey up until that moment because both the movie and this, we'll, we'll break it down a little bit more, but that song is such a, that's that's probably my favorite song in the whole show. Um, okay, don't get ahead time. of yourself, Matt. But let's start. Let's start talking let's, about the movie. Let's, let's get start talking about the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. the quick thing is that it was a play first, right? This was this was a stage show first, or yes, okay. it was a stage show first. It was a 1966 uh, musical, but actually, the 1966 Broadway musical was based off of first a play. Uh, 1951 called I Am a Camera, which was based off of a novel called The Berlin Stories written in 1945. So initially this story is loosely true. These are all characters based on true people. Gene Ross was the the real Sally Bowles. So it is loosely based on a true story. Obviously things get translated through them the play and then they kind of adapted it to a musical. So it's the story did kind of um, shift a bit. The man who Michael York plays, um, he plays the character of Brian Roberts, who is bisexual in the film. In the original story, he is homosexual. And so there's like things like that. And it's kind of his view and and whatnot. So, yes, it was a very successful show on Broadway. Uh, Joel Gray, who in the film plays the MC, but he actually originated the role of the MC on the um, Broadway cast. And I was watching this really long interview with him. Um, what a fantastic He's a comedian first, but comedian actor, because when you watch these interviews of him speaking, he's nothing like the MC. And he talks about where he got his inspiration for that character. Um, And it was some cheap comedy show he saw one time when he was getting into comedy. And he thought, this guy's using every trick in the book. And this is the shittiest thing I've ever seen. He's lousy. Everyone's laughing because he's pulling his cheap. And so when he went into workshop the role, he didn't, there was no character for the MC. He was given four songs and that's kind of it. And so he had nothing to pull from and he kind of had to create this character. And he said one run they were getting ready for the run of um, um, Vilkomen. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to try that guy that I just think is the worst. And he did it. And the director pulled him aside and he goes, that's it. Yeah, that's that's him. But he's nothing like that. When you watch him speak, he's just the most enduring. And you're like, wow, it's incredible to see him transform. He did originate the role and he also was talking in an interview how, you know, they didn't know how the audience was going to receive it and and whatnot. And so he said 
they did the first number and they start with the ding, 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 which is just already gives you chills. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. And he said they finished that number and it, they got a standing applause. A standing so ovation good. after it's... the first number. And he said they kind of stopped for five minutes and didn't know. They're like, do we do it again? Do we like, <laughs> what are we doing? They continued on with the show um, and it became an instant success. Like people just loved it. The music's amazing, like we said. And so 1972 comes around and the film gets made. The producer um, was Cy Fuhr, was already on it and he kind of already cast it and he chose Bob Fosse to direct it. Um, some of the other producers in the studios didn't want Bob Fosse for those of you who don't know who Bob Fosse is in famous Kelsey words, jump off a bridge. <laughs> no, um, Bob Fosse, we definitely, definitely will do an episode on him. I was obsessed with him as a child. Um, when I moved to New York, I intensely studied him and was mentored under a woman who was an original Fosse dancer. But um, he is a famous choreographer. He gives us jazz hands. He gives us the good bowler hat with a teacup, rich man's fruit. He choreographed Chicago, Pippin, Sweet Charity, Pajama Game, uh, blanking on Taming of the Shrew, Cabaret, the movie, um, Liza with a Z, incredible person. And he grew up in vaudeville and was a in amazing dancer himself. And then his legacy kind of goes down into his choreography, but he had just started moving into the film industry, been very successful on stage and he choreographed a lot of films and was very successful with the choreography of them. That being, he was in quite a few, but then uh, my sister, Eileen, the pajama game, damn Yankees, he had already choreographed all of those. And those all, you know, did very well. So then he goes on to direct and create Sweet Charity, and it did not do well, which I was surprised to read that I didn't realize that Sweet Charity didn't do well because now it is a classic. Yeah. Um, 1969 Shirley MacLaine classic. And that gives you great hits as Hey Big Spender, for those bah, who don't know. Bah, bah, so, bah. <laughs> no one really wanted him. You know, he had just done a flop, and so they're like, really, Fosse? So Fear, the producer, fought for him and was like, no, this is a musical and he knows musicals and we need, he's going to have a different eye and vision for it. So Fosse came in and, and did it. And he very much, someone said that he came into that producer meeting, cigarette famous, you know, Fosse had a, a whole look, always a cigarette and came in and said, what do you want? Instead, yeah. You know, and there he's like, I kind of have to win them over. And they're like, well, you, we want you to direct this movie. Okay, great. Goes off. And, and so everyone that worked with him was just like, he, he had a vision. He didn't really like stray. He didn't like improvisation. He knows exactly what he wants and everything's to account. Everything's to a team. He, he's an artist. He's a genius. I may say so. So we already did have the cast. Um, Liza Minnelli was already cast as Sally Bowles. Uh, Michael York, I do believe was a Fosse once he came on, um, was cast as Brian Roberts. And it's funny, the casting that went out for that role of Brian Roberts was uh, descriptive as a Michael York type. <laughs> and so Michael York talks about like, well, I talked to my agent and like, was like, well, shouldn't I go for this? And he still had to audition, even though they legitimately like, that's the breakdown. Um, <laughs> I feel like I so hear I stories really about funny. that all the time though. It's yeah, it does happen. And that just shows you how weird Hollywood is. And it's, ugh. well, and that actually kind of happens a lot when, you know, and it's, I think we're seeing a resurgence or at least in the last decade of, of movies being made that are musicals and very successful and, and whatnot. And a lot of the films are not bringing in original cast members from the Broadway shows. Um, some do. I, I know that. Um, I think it was Jersey Boys. But then we had the Dear Evan and, and Hansen situation where it's like, I love I didn't Ben even watch Platt. That. I love Ben Platt, but 
he can't be playing a 17 year old in a feature film i know nothing about dear evan hansen i didn't even give it a chance i'm so like out of touch with broadway which it's my roots so i'm a little sad but i i like the classics which is why we're doing cabaret but <laughs> bob fossey felt the same about this film he actually didn't want joel gray he was shopping around other people and he didn't want him they kind of already had this tension building and i joel gray talks about this in an interview he's like i think he was thinking maybe they would get in a situation where they can find no one and Fosse would do it himself. And again, he is a great performer, but um, the producer basically said, it's Joel Gray or you walk. (laughs) They were pretty set on him for a a very good reason. I mean, he is shines in every single scene that he's in. He is the epitome of this movie as like the wrap it into one character kind of holding it on of this zany covering up dark twisted it it's it's great what he does well you're talking about the dark and twistedness of this it it mm-hmm. is i remember the first time i watched this i didn't know what it was and i didn't like it oh yeah i was too young so it's a very serious slow dark film yeah like i was i was in high school and there's a punk band that does all cover songs and they put out an all Broadway cover album and it ends with them doing it. <laughs> I feel like you mentioned this guy. You're like, yeah. there was this one rock band that yeah. didn't all like, it's they, always a punk cover. Yeah, they did a punk cover of the Cabaret song. So I liked that. And then I love the Jason Biggs movie Loser. And in a scene, they go to see Cabaret and you see it's Alan Cumming at the time was playing the MC. Yeah, I was he, actually going to say that Alan Cumming did do a revival of it. And he's a perfect, he's I'm such a big Alan Cumming MC. fan. But they, they show him doing Vilkeman. And I was like, what is this show? So my friend lent me their DVD at the, uh, to watch. And I didn't know if it was like supposed to be like scary, funny. Like I had no clue what I was watching beyond that. I knew it was a musical. And I think I barely paid attention to it the first time. But then years later, I rewatched it and was like, this is incredible. But it is a it has these weird creepy moments the ending of the movie the way mm-hmm. that cabaret kind of falls into this like like noise you know what i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like why it's at the time i mean it's a social piece yeah. of 1931 berlin which we can do a quick it does it, it's oh, no. it juggles a lot of tone in a lot like because it is both a dark drama it does have the horrific history that's happening behind the scenes but it's also got a bit of a love story to it. It does have really funny parts in it. Like Eliza Minnelli's charming as hell every single time that she's on the screen. Like it, it really juggles a lot of, you can go through so many different emotions just while watching this two hour mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, which I'll give you a two-sentence synopsis that I didn't write, so I'm not taking credit, but uh, I'm lazy. In Berlin in 1931, American cabaret singer Sally Bowles meets British academic Brian Roberts, who is finishing his university studies. Despite Brian's confusion over his sexuality, the pair become lovers, but the arrival of the wealthy and decadent playboy Maximilian von Huhn complicates matters for them both. The love triangle plays out against the rise of the Nazi party and the collapse of the Weimar Republic. So it is set at the tone. It's you get really caught up in this weird, eerie kind of fun playhouse of a cabaret and the nightclub CD scene and the fun of it and the not taking it serious and joking about the Nazis and joking. And they do a really awesome job. And Fosse did a really beautiful job, I think, of this, of the harsh contrast of girls in fishnets kicking in the MC screwing around and everyone's laughing and acting like everything's fine and then showing clips of someone being beaten to death by Nazis or the 
body lying in the ground and it's kind of this hum and they're like, yeah, the Nazis are just these things. We'll, we'll take them down. It's no big deal. And there's that scene where there's the body in the street and Liza and they're all walking past and they're now with their playboys. So I have all this money to throw around and just partying and, and just talking about the frivolous, stupid stuff in life as they walk past this horrific scene. Yeah. And, and that contrast of, it, it really is quite powerful. And the, the scene of the cabaret and it is, like I said, it's almost like this underground hell cabaret feel. It's, it's a, you can th- smell it when you watch it. And it's songs. Like they're performing some like really fucking weird songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll get through, I are, mean, which, we will talk about almost every one of them, but yeah. Yeah. We need to go through that song list, but I will say um, before we do just a little bit more about the movie, um, speaking of his success, the show did great. The movie had a, a fantastic success. Um, it, did incredible at the 1973 Oscars. It had eight wins, including um, Best Actress for Liza Minnelli, Best Director Bob Fosse, Best Supporting Actor Joel Gray, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music slash Original Song. This holds the record for the most amount of wins for one movie without taking Best Picture of the Year. And that is because they were up against The Godfather, and The Godfather yeah. won that year, which I'm going to say I'm not a huge godfather no, I'm, I'm, right there I'm, with you. I'm right there with you okay everyone's always like what and I've, I've watched it so many times not so many but like as an adult and i'm just like I, I get it but not for me i don't do well with most mob movies in general they're just not for me and the godfather is even slower than most normal mob movies so it's like a i mean real... i do some like it hot so that's yeah. my mom that's movie. the yeah that's as bad as mob movies like which get. oh my god joel gray in a wig in the scene when he's dancing with all the girls and you don't know he's in it yet and he comes yeah. out he looks just like jack lemon 100 yep. percent. i mean you and i have both kind of already played our hand on this but i think i think this should have won I, I honestly think Cabaret should have been out the Godfather. Did we just lose like half of our listeners? I'm sure we did, but I, you, I really I love you believe that. Also, I mean, we should mention beyond the fact that we're doing Cabaret because it's a great show. It's also 50 year anniversary this year. So like. Is it really? Oh, I didn't. Oh, 72. Holy shit. <laughs> it's 2022. Fuck. Um, uh, that kind of stuff. Like, I'm still like in that time warp of COVID where I'm like. No, it's still 2019. Still think, what are you talking about? <laughs> I still think 2019 was like a week ago. And I'm like, wait, 2023? Huh? Um, <laughs> speaking of time warps. No, um, they did rehearsals and filming in West Germany. And they, Fosse would go. Willy Wonka was on the soundstage that they were supposed to be on next. And Willy Wonka kept running over. And so Fosse was known to go on the set of Willy Wonka and be like, fucking hurry up. <laughs> like, you're <laughs> holding off my movie, which I loved. And it just shows. Fosse is, Joel Gray said the first time he went in, to a rehearsal with um, Fosse, there was already that tension. He didn't want him. And he said, you know, Joel, can you do a backflip? And he's like, well, I, I don't know. Show me. And he goes, okay. And he calls his assistant over and said he has his cigarette and this, that. And he goes to do a backflip and lands on his face. Mm. And this is Fosse and just lies there. And he goes, it felt like an eternity. It was like maybe five minutes. The nurse came. He went away for the day. He goes, the next day he came back cigarette he said his face was black and blue nobody talked about it you move on because it's like <laughs> it's Fosse was a very interesting character and again we will go into this in in another episode um with a deeper dive but he did have that kind of stark hard ass like you didn't want to piss him off <laughs> you know but uh, he's a genius so sometimes that's where it comes from and i think another reason Fosse was the perfect person aside from his 
kind of more obscure choreography and visions that he had, but he grew up in burlesque. He was a young dancer, a young boy that would perform these tap numbers in burlesque clubs. And so he understands this seedy nightclub scene very well. And um, they said that in between takes, you know, the, the makeup department would come by and dab off everyone's sweat and they're trying to make it. And he'd say, stop. He's like, don't, don't get rid of the sweat. It's yeah. like, leave it. I want it to look as authentic and, you know, kind of falling apart as it can. And you can really see it. And there's one when they're doing the three ladies number and one of the girls wigs by the end, it's, I was like, oh my God, her wig is like falling off. You can see her hairline, but it does give it that kind of cheap undervalue vibe that it would have been. It feels like one takes, even though that, you know, that it's cutting to different cameras. Like it really feels like you're just watching a legitimate live performance and mm -hmm. not like, and that's why it's, it's weird because it's a musical, but it's that unique type of musical, right? Because there's the two different types of musicals. There's the people mm -hmm. breaking out into song and dance musicals. And mm -hmm. this one, unless I'm forgetting something, all of the songs are exclusively performed within the Kit Kat Club or are legitimately being sung on stage. It's not... You know, we're not having these giant the only, fantastical musical numbers. Correct. Yeah. yeah, this is in that form where it's like all the songs are meant to be heard. You're watching in the film, they are being performed. It's not a classic musical where they kind of have the breakout singing a song and that's how they're, what's actually kind of their thought process or, you know, or whatnot. And the, they have so many emotions, they can't do anything but sing kind of a vibe. Yeah. And originally Fosse didn't, he was trying to get away from musicals and wanted to get into more serious directing. And he didn't want to make this a musical or he very much the first cut of this, he wanted the musical numbers almost to be kind of echoed, like not actually show the full numbers. And Joel Gray talks about when he went to the first screening of it, the first cut they put together, he was really upset and really sad because he was cut from most of the movie. It was just, they would be like a 10 second little blurb of what's going on in the cabaret more background noise as it almost is he went to the producers went to this agent and was like i'm really upset and they're like don't worry this is not how the movie's going to be um which i'm glad because the musical numbers are incredible and i do think that that contrast is what makes it so beautiful but yeah the the film is really cool because it is all the songs except um tomorrow belongs to me which is when they're out at that like outdoor kind of beer gardeny thing and yes, the young right, right. start singing it and they all start but it, even that song is meant to be realistically being like oh he's singing a song not yeah. we're breaking out into song huge difference so yeah it's not that kind of classic musical it's it's a much more i feel like it's it's a much more serious social piece that happens to have some songs <laughs> no i think that that's fair and and i think we're getting near the we're getting near the point where we're going to start talking about these songs because we've kind of covered the plot of it but i do want to ask you because there are some really quotable lines, especially from Sally. But do you have any lines from this movie that you uh, always think about? The only thing that I always think about, always, 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 is when I was a kid, my best friend Megan and my sister, we would always sing cabaret, as you do as a child. And they would always sing, when I'm gone, I'm going like Gelsie. Of course you And I'm always like, yes. And then I do like a big jazz. I'm like, ha ha. So I always can't not sing my name into it. because. Now, so the one line that I always think of is when Sally and Brian are having the huge fight. And mm -hmm. he says, screw Maximilian. And she says, I do. And then it gets real quiet. And he goes, so do I. And that's like when you mm -hmm. realize they are in like 
the truest of true love triangles. <laughs> like it Ooh, is such uh, a, it, it is a thruple. Oh my God. It is, but it is such a, in seven words, it tells you so much information. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think that that is such a brilliant, and that's probably obviously from the original show, but like, that is, that is some of the really good writing that I think is in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. It's just like, there is the dialogue. It, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like a full blown screwball comedy in any sense of the word, Mm-mm. but like Liza Minnelli brings a little bit of that screwball comedy energy when she's talking to people inside the boarding house, she's very frantic and and I wouldn't call her screwball at all. I I know what you're trying to say, but I I have to disagree there because that she has that very um well she obviously based her character. She did a lot of research and whatnot, and, and she studied Louise Brooks a lot from okay. the twenties and thirties and kind of took off that energy. But she read that um the woman that she was based off of did kind of wear these like bizarre crazy outfits it was just different and and kind of it's almost that really energy frantic oh god da, 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 yeah. like that um you're just ignoring the reality she's very much not in tune with oh, she has no clue responsibilities yeah reality she's you know her relationship with her father she even kind of lies to herself about and it's that kind of just making everything she wants to be a movie star and it's almost like in her head she's creating the life that she wants to live in and seeing it through the lens she chooses to to ignore you know by overly flaunting her sexual um adventures i guess i'm gonna call them and and whatnot and you know especially in a time when it was not proper to talk about and she's just like what yeah screwed someone last night and this that and 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 it's like she wants that shock factor and so she's over the top for that people to go what and the lashes and the she actually reminds me of Lorelai from Gilmore Girls in a weird way. As someone who just I loves haven't Gilmore watched Gilmore Girls. Girls, but I'm like looking mm-hmm. at like some of her quotes on IMDb. They have like the quotes page and stuff like, "Doesn't my body drive you wild with desire?" Or, I do love that when she doesn't my body just drive you wild with desire, and I was like, "What a thing to say!" I would never say that. I know. She says, "Where's another one?" Uh, I'm going to be a great movie star. That is, if the booze and the sex don't get to me first. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, when Brian says you're an American, she goes, "Oh God, how dis- depressing! You're meant to think that I'm an international woman of mystery. I'm working on it like mad. Like she just, <laughs> you're right. She's in this. She has created this fantasy life for herself mm-hmm. um, to really separate herself from what's happening." Um, to, yeah, to, and and the sadness of her own life, and the fact yeah. that her father doesn't show up and isn't there for her, and doesn't really love her, and and she's holding on to this dream that I think she knows in reality won't happen, and she's kind of going to be stuck as this third-rate cabaret singer in Berlin, you know. And I think that kind of plays when she's sitting and thinking about actually having this baby and she kind of flashes of all the different scenes of her singing and this that and what she wants, and I, I think that's the moment that. She's like, oh, this happy rea- life that I, we were talking about in Oxford where we could raise this baby together in England. She's just like, that's not possible for me because I yeah. don't get to have the happy thing. I know deep down that I'm I'm stuck here. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a yeah, sad was... movie. But man, does it have some happy tunes. So let's talk about let's some of these. Let's talk about... <laughs> well, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Vilkomen, but what 
what a great, I mean, just iconic. You hear again that first doom, 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 and it's just, it just sets built. the tone. You know exactly. You're just like, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. It's all escalation um, for it's seven minutes of just escalation to like that mm -hmm. final chorus where everybody is it this it's a dangerous song for me to listen to in my car because like the hand starts going you know like you're just like welcome <laughs> they're gonna say you start speeding <laughs> i have songs that are on do not playlists in my car free bird by leonard skinner being one of them i am not allowed oh you're to chasing, listen. I go, you're being chased by the cops when free bird comes i on. have very <laughs> dangerous i actually got into a bad car accident listening to oh, that no. song so i'm yeah my bad i had my jenny from forrest gut moment it's fine i own it yeah welcome in and i love the introduction of the girls and the kind of i love their makeup and it is this dark over dramatic sense and the costumes which are they're sexy but they're kind of like where the hell did you get that and they're almost not like their makeup almost makes them look ugly yeah you can tell they're beautiful women and i i really love that and they have the same makeup that joel gray almost does and so it's like when he puts on a wig in their women's costumes you don't spot him out because they all have that look it and weirdly, it's, it's just they weirdly look like um this is a weird comparison but like visually it makes me think of like the tim burton batman movies like i think of like the yeah. women who've been like joker fied or even like the circus clowns in the sewers and like batman totally. returns like it's just this weird or even i mean there's no way that there wasn't at least a little bit of a visual cue that they later pulled in for rocky horror picture show because it is that like it's gorgeous, but it's like this almost dead, like the makeup is just slightly smeared or just a little mm -hmm. too much where like it's it's off putting, but like still kind of sexy simultaneously. Like it's a very strange look that all of them have. <laughs> Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. And it's, it's great. And I the choreography is great, too. I love even as a dancer, there's a simple moment in Vilkamin when they kind of step, step, kick. They're kind of doing like a walking kick line and the girls have this like slight bend in their knee. It's not a perfect rockety or can-can. It's this kind of just slightly broken, dingy version of it. And it really emphasizes the feeling you're supposed to get through the choreography of this CD nightclub or 1931 Berlin, the shit that's going on. It just, even through the movement, you capture that and and that's why Fosse is a genius then we go into liza's first song yeah which is the first song we have that is not in the original broadway show this was written for the movie okay and i love mine hair like it is absolutely so when i first rented this movie i was probably like in my preteen years i'm gonna say maybe 12 maybe 11 even and i didn't really i couldn't make it through the movie it was very boring to me but I was obsessed with Fosse and all his choreography and I just wanted to learn anything I could. And so I had, it was still VCR. I must've watched mine hair a hundred million times and I pulled my desk chair and I sat, pause, rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, and learned the entire number that the girls on the sides are doing with my chair. And like my mom walked by and I'm like draped on a chair, like walking my feet in air, like five, six, seven, eight, like just trying to, I, I loved, it's funny. It was, I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, I, I like know these moves. And yeah, like the choreography the like came back as I watched. Oh, yeah. Great. And I was like, oh, I forgot. I just spent so much time in my room alone learning this number. And it's one song I love to sing in my car, but it does come at the cost. A lot of these songs replaced. I mean, a lot of the songs from the Broadway show didn't make it in, but um, the ones from the movie did replace somewhat versions of it. And it does replace one of my favorite songs in the stage show. And that's don't tell mama. 
And okay. it's hush up, don't tell mama, shush up, don't tell mama, don't tell mama, whatever you do. And it's basically, it starts off and she talks, mama thinks I'm living in a convent, just a seclusive little convent in the southern side of France. Mama doesn't even have an inkling that I'm working in a nightclub in a pair of frilly pants. So please, sir, if you run into my mother. And it's this whole, Shasha, don't tell mama. Like cute. And it basically has the same five of all the girls with mine hair. And it, it doesn't have the same kind of, you know, Fosse choreography because he didn't have anything to do with that version. So you know, you get a very different vibe there as well. But I do love that. And I had a recording. Um, I'm going to pause real quick and kind of go to this. There's a lot of famous actresses who played Sally Bowles on either Broadway or the West End. Um, Judy Dench being one of them. Ooh. She played it in her younger years on the West End. And then I had the recording of Natasha, Natasha Richardson, who is best known to play the mother in the Lindsay Lohan parent trap. And oh. I absolutely adore her. So <laughs> I had her version. Um, RIP Natasha. Love you. Terry Hatcher played her Molly Ringwald, Brooke Shields. They wow. all had to go in cabaret. I had to Google some of them. I was like, Terry Hatcher cabaret. I was like, I don't believe it. And I was like, Holy shit. She's so young. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I had the Natasha Richardson, uh, recording of it and so that's that um oh is it already go to maybe this time is next yeah so i gotta talk about maybe this time because this is one that probably i won't say i cry every time i hear the song but i get moved every time i hear I the do song. Too. and it's definitely really? like the first half is great but it's it's starting right at that everybody loves a winner so nobody loves me, nobody me. and then you know the way that Liza hits that last part, though, with the like, it's gonna happen, happen sometime. And she just she couldn't have her head any more tilted back with her mouth just straight up to the ceiling. Like yeah. she has that yeah. open mouth. Yeah, it is. You really feel it. And I, I love where it comes in on the film where it's like she's just starting to actually have this romance with Brian. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, and she it's actually chilling. is like, it's yeah, it is. But I so here's the funny thing, and I and I wonder if this is the same for you, because in this movie, it's a love song, you know, or, mm -hmm. or it's it's a hopeful love song. For me, it's always a career song. For me, it's like a career opportunity song. Like, like I know that that's not what it's written about. But when no, no, no. Oh, I I interpret yeah. songs to be personal to me all the yeah. time. There's like songs the, that are like like this yeah. is one of those songs where it's like when I'm working really hard on a project and I think that that this could be the one like that is literally the song I put on. To, like, I only have one song like that for my career and it's me sitting working and I'm like, God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. How many people does it need? <laughs> um, which have you seen side, side tangent? Have you seen the Will Ferrell movie land of the lost once? I'll have to rewatch. Oh my it. God. And he has like his like device, his time travel device is attached to the soundtrack of course line. So that song is just constantly playing. And when he has to go over like the lava, he like ties up his shirt and does a whole chorus line thing. I, I was in tears. I loved that movie. Like I, of course line's great. I, so again, I know you don't watch Gilmore girls. You've never seen Gilmore girls, I do not. but no. Kelly Bishop is the, one of the stars of it. And the podcast that I listen to, they always talk about like Kelly Bishop, queen of chorus line like that it's like literally how they refer to her every time they mention her is just like the absolute queen from chorus line like need so i'm like and i know so many of the songs so i know that i would love it 
but I just haven't gotten around to it. So that that and all that jazz are both ones I need to actually sit down. Oh my god, you've never seen all that jazz? No. I lit that. So around this time that I'm dancing on my chair to mine hair, I had already I had all that jazz and I owned that. And this was my deep dive at a very young age into Fosse where I was just like, I need everything now, jazz hands all the time. And um, that's why I was so geeked out when I did move to New York and one of my mentors was in an original seventies production of dancing with Fosse and her shit stories with him. And I was like, oh, I, I can't believe my life. I can't believe this is real. And, but um, all that jazz, I had learned all the choreography from that movie. And some of it's so, I mean, they're taking their clothes off, they're naked. And I'm like, great, I got to learn this. And I just, I knew it all. And then I went over to cabaret, learned mine hair. And I, but all that jazz, um, Roy Scheider, is the actor that plays oh, um, Joe Gideon and all that jazz. But he's, it's basically like almost a self autobiographical film that Fosse did reflecting his own life. Okay. And it's interesting that he actually saw it this way that he, he wasn't like shitting himself. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of a jackass. I'm, I'm taking uppers. I'm taking downers. I'm a bitch to my dancers, but I, I create good shit. And like, it's, he was just so brutally like almost honest about himself um, and he dies in the end of the film. And, and then shortly after he did die of a heart attack. And so, but one of my all time favorite numbers, um, I would recommend just even Googling or YouTubing this, like you don't really have to know too much about it. I would recommend the whole movie, but the very last number, he does that kind of, um, into his death. It's like these big musical numbers that are him going through the phases of death. And so you're seeing him do with reality. And then he just sees everything through a production because he's this choreographer. And him and Ben Vereen do this performance of Bye Bye Life. Okay. And you have Anne Ranking and another dancer on the other side in these kind of like body suits with like veins doing really cool shit. And I've never seen two performers give the performance that they, Ben Vereen and, and Roy Scheider give on this. Right. And he's laying on the piano and I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna, bye bye. Um, I'm making this a, this, it's this amazing. Will be this will be watching. And he has all the audience. It's like people in his life and it's, it's this beautiful, like, Oh, it's just, it's incredible. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. And I, I'm so grateful that I was exposed to this at such a young age. Um, see, I was, I didn't have a family that like my grandfather liked this type of stuff, but he still died before I was really that interested and invested in musicals. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of like, a lot of the stuff that I ended up loving in life was in the sadness of losing my grandfather, trying to like understand mm -hmm. him better through the things that he loved. Um, and cabaret was like one of those things, I think a little bit. Cause I, oh, I love but, but let's, uh, mm -hmm. so, so I, maybe this time, I mean, we could real we quick. Could do a I just wanted to on one side. more, all that jazz just to sell it more. Um, I forgot Jessica Lang is in it. A very yeah. young Jessica oh, Lang. I already she's saw kind of when I checked on death. IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's right. I forgot. Cause that's, yeah, I, I knew her. That's how I knew her first. But anyways, um, we have to reference so, Shit's Creek again on this next one though. Money, 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 money. Oh my God. Possibly the hardest. I know you're a big little bit of Lexus fan, but when, when they walk in on them having the independent choreographer teaching Rehearsal. them the money, money dance, it is one of the absolute, it's both hilarious and very impressive. Like the choreography is I, so impressive. It's funny because it, when it's like that tough choreography and you're just stressing so much because you're like, this is impossible. And like you feel, I've done so many gigs and contracts where choreographers will walk in 
and just be like, this is it. And you're just like, what the actual fuck? Like, <laughs> no. Um, oh God, cruise ship contracts. There was one that it, I literally like, I know these guys were just doing like bumps at Coke and taking speed. And they're like, here's your dance. And we were like, <laughs> this is impossible. Oh God. Uh, we cried a lot. But then months later when we thought about it, we laughed a lot. So but I, we were not laughing learning that. <laughs> I do love though. And that's another, I'm a huge, um, Stevie fan on Shit's Creek, who is played none other than. You got to get her on the show one time. We talk about her so much. We got to be like, Stevie, do you like anything from the past? <laughs> Come and talk oh, Emily about Hampshire. Her. I was blanking on her name. Emily Hampshire. <laughs> um, my post-concussion brain does that sometimes where it's like names. <laughs> Watch this. Um, yeah, I, I follow her on Instagram, too. That's why I was like, I know her name, but it whatever. Um, she's great, but Money Money is another one that was not in the show. This was written for the movie, and it replaces a Money song. There is a song that um, the MC sings, and it's my father needs money, my mother needs money, my sister needs money. Da, da. It's like, but me, I'm sitting pretty. I've got all the money I need, and it's that. And so they replace that with Money Money, which was a good call because some of the songs I'm like, Oh, these are great. But money makes the world go round is just yeah, money makes obviously the world classic, iconic, the but the, the choreography and their way they play it very vaudeville. It, yeah. it's, oh, it's throwing the coins yeah. into their pants and shaking it. It's, it's brilliant. I love it. It's such a, I mean, there isn't a song that I actually just, I'll, I'll play that card right now. There's not a song I dislike in this entire musical, at least in That's the true. film soundtrack. <gasps> <laughs> I did. Speaking of money, money, um, Joel Gray was talking about the costume he wore for that, that Fosse liked to even in rehearsal, see everything full costume just so he can like vision it and stuff. And the tailcoats they had him in for that number was actually an authentic costume um, from a much earlier decade in Germany. And he goes, yeah, I go he jokes that Liza was dancing with 50 other people because he's like, the hygiene wasn't that good. And it basically the costume reeked of all the Oof. sweat of the men that wore it before and danced. Oof. And so doing that, I was like, Oh, but he's like, I think it kind of played into the benefit of the tension of that number and, and the kind of, uh. Joel seems like a real glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> you should honestly, I highly recommend watching even just like 10 minutes of his interview. I sat I'm while so I was doing something else and played like his two hour interview at the yeah. Y92. And he went off on other things in his career. And I was like, I love this man. He and it, was, he's, it's him now. He's older. And it just, I was like, I just want to hang out with him. Yeah, you got to find, you got to find that Muppet show episode. It's on Disney plus for sure. But he is so charming throughout that whole episode. Um, and I think it's charming to watch because it is, I think he's literally like the second or third guest they ever had. So no one knew what the show mm. was. Um, yeah. And, and he just, it's, it's a really, it is a really good episode, but yeah, he, I remember that's what really made me start to love Joel Gray was seeing him in that because I'd only ever known him for this. Also like him and Sutton Foster did anything goes, which is my favorite musical bar none. So like, I listened to I that soundtrack a ton. So I was like, okay, guy can sing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Boy, man can sing. I mean, um, all right. So you mentioned this one already once before, but let's let's talk about it a little bit. Two ladies, <laughs> two ladies, two ladies, and I'm the only man. <laughs> I love this number. I used to sing it as a kid, which uh, it's fine. Um, it was catchy. It is they a like it. <laughs> it is a very like catchy, catchy song. Um, Joel Gray gets the weirdest songs in this because there's one more 
that we will talk about near the end. It's actually his it's, favorite. He loves that song. He thinks it's um, it's yeah. such a no. Weird I, I do too. <laughs> but all right, it's great. It, anyways, yeah. So two ladies is is it's about a menage a trois. It's a fun zany. Uh, again, this is kind of her wigs falling off, but I forget what's going on during that in the film that it's kind of paralleling. I think at that point, have they already found out that they're in a thruple? Not that like the two ladies later. would connect with that, but I think it's later. I just watched this last night, and now like I, I know I watched it yesterday, and now I'm like, great. I'm glad my brain can. That's do all that. right. Look, I don't have a concussion, and I also forget what this was tying into <laughs> in the movie because when the when it goes to the Kit Kat Club, it is like a whole other world. Like I know that the songs is. do connect to what's happening in the plot sometimes, but in my brain. I'm just like, oh, we're taking a break from the serious stuff to enjoy the crazy stage show down at the Kit Kat Club. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, then we have an instrumental track on the soundtrack. And then, as you said, Tomorrow Belongs to Me is kind of the only, like, not in the Kit Kat Club performance in the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, there are um, a bunch of songs. There's actually a whole other love story that is in the stage production um, with Fräulein Schneider, who runs a boarding house, and her love interest is Er Schultz, a German grocer. Oh, um, and it's like they they have a doomed romance plot with um, the Gentile falling in love with a Jew during the rise of the you know Nazis, but that kind of gets replaced with the love love story we get in the film between uh, Nat Natalia and uh, what's his name, the Gigolo. Who's like, I am Deju. And she's oh, like, let's gotcha. get married. And I was like, shit. It's actually very sad. And, and speaking of that, though, M Marissa Berenson, who plays Natalia, who's the really rich um, Jewish woman that uh, the gigolo is courting. And uh, she's taking English lessons from Brian Roberts. And that's kind of how she plays into it. But, you know, she has that very innocent. She's crying to Sally when... Um, she gets jumped and has had sex and she's like, I was screaming, but then I liked it. And it, she's very confused and, and whatnot. But um, Fosse used to like harass her on set and like come up to her right before takes and whisper real gruesome sexual things to her in her ear to make her really uncomfortable and bashful. And, and, and then the, the scene when she opens the door and her dog is dead on the front step, I guess um, Fosse actually put like real animal guts on set to like spook her right before she opened the door. And so she was just so like, I mean, I guess it worked. Yeah, <laughs> she gave okay. a great performance, so but I was Fosse's, like, Bob, Fosse's that's like a little, it's a little low, Bob. He's the method actor of directing at that point. Where you're just yeah. Like, he wants what he wants. That's yeah. something about him. Like he will do whatever it takes to get <laughs> what he wants. But woof, that was rough. I don't remember this next one, Tiller Girls. I think that's the one that um, he's dressed up like a girl. Yeah, the Tiller Girls okay. is um, when they're dressed up and then they change their hats to kind of like oh, okay. German army and march off. Yes, I do remember this. Okay. Um, it, which it is a very this is a great, song, so that's probably why I don't It's short, but this was an extreme like, um, I think this might be where the guy's getting beat up or they see that. I know there's like a... I should have written these down what what's going on during that moment, but it that's a huge contrasting moment where it's like clearly the rise of the Nazi party is happening, even though people aren't really taking it seriously because they're like, nah, that's not going to be a thing. But um, and they're just kind of taking the piss out of it. And obviously us as viewers know it's about to be a very real thing. Yeah. And so seeing that kind of like joking, laughing, sexy, like ah, ignoring to the climate of like, oh, fuck, I thought it was a great number. Yeah. Okay. And, and Joel Grey is great. I loved seeing him dressed up and looking like Jack Lemmon. 
<laughs> okay, that is no. the Jack Lemon scene. That's how I'm going to remember it forever now, is the scene where he kind of looks like Jack Lemon. He looks just yeah. like him. I was like, holy shit. But the next song is the one you were talking about, If You Could See Her, where yep. uh, the MC sings with the gorilla. And this, I love, I don't know why I love this number so much. I think it's so funny that it just turns around the gorilla and is just eating banana. And that's, you know, kind of like, also, the point of it is like it's this, you know, everyone's laughing and it, there's a lot of a vaudeville style performing in this club. But it is, you know, it's it's I like how the club also is ignoring, making fun of what's going on outside. But they're also it's that kind of political comedy. Yeah. Where, you know, at the end where he's like says, uh, what's the line if she wouldn't look Jewish at all? Yeah. Which in the stage show, they don't do that. Um, it, the line is she wouldn't be Mishkite at all. And there's a song called Mishkite in the stage show that was cut from the movie. And it's Mishkite, Mishkite, once upon a time there was a Mishkite. Mish-. And Mishkite is uh, ugly in Yiddish. Yeah. And so then in that one, he's like, she wouldn't look Mishkite at all. Then we get the big closing number, the title, the title track, if you could call it that when it's in a musical. But uh, Cabaret, I mean, what a song. What a song to send us home on. <laughs> what a great song. And what I love about this version is the kind of like sad tone almost like there's almost this like when she starts the song it's has you can feel that sadness and that hopelessness almost you know you think about cabaret and it's just like what good is sitting alone you know all happy but it's it, I don't know. For me, that's what I take from it that I was no, like, oh, dark. I never really viewed this as a more like kind of dark, cynical, we're happy, we're fine, just come in here and don't worry about what's out there, continuing to lean into ignoring the world's problem, ignoring your own problems, ignoring reality, ignoring your own sadness. Yeah. Well, and, and just I, drinking and partying instead. If you even analyze the performance, I think that Sally goes through stuff throughout the song. Because I think that mm-hmm. where we leave off in the movie is like you said, she realizes she can't have this baby in Oxford. Like that's not what her life is supposed to be. Um, so it starts off with that very slow, sad, what good is sitting alone yep, in your room? But like, like you said, I'm going like Elsie. Like it's almost mm. like she takes this moment of as fucked up as it is. She's like, if that's the way I'm going out, like I'm, I'm, I'm going out guns ablaze in that way. Like, yeah, yeah, and it's it's really that like pivotal. Like uh, she already was living this lifestyle, but kind of like I'm living this way, and she's yeah. And it's a sad story about my friend Elsie who used to live down in Chelsea. Ding ding ding. It kind of has that cue, but it's talking about when she dies. And yeah, when she yeah, when she was laid up like the queen, she was the happiest corpse they'd ever seen. I think of Elsie to this very day, and remember how she turned to me to say. What good is sitting alone in your room? It is. It is that great. And it is the build of when she, when I go. And you can hear that. Just fuck it. Well, I don't think I ever realized that that's what that last chorus is. Start by admitting that from cradle to tomb isn't that long a stay. Wow. It's dark. It's, yeah, That's people think really, this is fun. I'm like, it's a heavy song. That is a really heavy lyric. But I also, I mean, at the same time, that's like 1972's YOLO. 
like, life is a cabaret. I'm gonna start like, saying now, and people are like, "Whoa, you're gonna go? You, you're having some wine tonight? Don't you have an early spin class to teach?" Life is a cabaret. <laughs> old chump, and just exit the room. Do okay, like I'm a doing it. Falsy on your way out. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going like Gelsey. Yeah, you know? I'm, that's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> I've been saying it a long time. So it's my friend. I just don't want. I don't need to die. I, I've, no, we're not done. Look, we're not. We're not done. What we came here to do, Gelsey. We've got a lot of topics and episodes to cover yes, still. So exactly. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start, or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos. WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. You know, we did a really long episode, so I don't really have Mm -hmm. a big question. I was going to say, what's your favorite song in the show? But I think we kind of covered that, didn't we? No, we actually did not. Okay, then what is your Um, favorite song in the show? Shit, I can't. (laughs) I don't know if I can pick. I I love mine hair. I, I really do. Fair. It is a good song. There's and I, like, I feel like I just relate and I'm like, you have to understand the way I am. I'm like, yes, it's me. <laughs> but it's I, mean, I also love I was gonna say Vilkomin. Like I really love that song. I, I would say that for me it falls solidly on what I'm in the mood for. And if I'm in the mood for the big creation, mm-hmm. it's gonna be Vilkomin. And if it's you know just something that's gonna put me in my feels, it's gonna be maybe this time. Like it's usually mm-hmm. between those two. Um, but I mean, those are, it is just such a, it is such a good show. (laughs) It really is. And actually we want to know what your favorite song is or favorite song that didn't make it into the movie from the stage show. Please let us know on Instagram at before my time underscore podcast or on Facebook, just search before my time. We will pop up. And while you're here, if you wouldn't mind just giving us some stars, possibly five, and a really cute review, that means a lot to us. It helps us get to more listeners like yourself that love things that happened before our time. Thanks again for tuning in, and see you next time. Bye. Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 